electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, Disney is on the move, just turning to the green. Shares the entertainment giant uh, upping prices even as it loses streaming subscribers. What is next for this company as it approaches up 3% after hours? Plus, the canary in the coal mine, an $18 billion company lost nearly a quarter of its market value today because of, you guessed it, a warning over AI. Does this signal even more danger ahead? And later, Carana looks for some zen, a bullish bet on China tech, and a big call on Walmart just a few weeks before earnings. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Guy Downey, Carter Worth, and Julie Beal. We'll get to Disney's results in just a moment. We start off with those potential cracks forming in the AI-led rally. NVIDIA continued its descent today, dropping nearly 5%. The stock now down over 11% from its all-time high hit less than a month ago. And yesterday, we got that warning from Datadog. Those shares fell another percent and a half today, the lowest close since mid-May. And now there's Supermicro, shedding 23% for its worst day since the start of the pandemic. The IT company warning about Weak demand for its AI servers. The weakness helping to push the Nasdaq to close below its 50-day moving average for the first time in five months. So is this the canary in the coal mine? Could there be more danger ahead? If we are to believe that a lot of gains were built on the promise of AI and now there are cracks, Guy, should we be concerned? In terms of demand, the story's intact without question. The run in some of these stocks, though, we've talked about it. I think that's gotten clearly gotten ahead of itself. And you couple with what Supercomputer said with Taiwan Semi a couple weeks ago, then you start saying to yourself, hmm, obviously it's an industry that's coming, it's around, it's not going anywhere, but a lot of pull forward has been done without question. And a stock like Supercomputers went from 100 to 300 in two months. You give something back today, it makes sense, but will start to feed on itself. And you saw, you're going to start to see the same thing, I believe, in NVIDIA. Important company, but a company now at 60 times forward earnings, 25, 26 times sales. That's rich in any environment. Yeah, you were doing some, some comparisons. Yes, so super, super micro versus an NVIDIA. Right. Interestingly, super micro, even with that big loss today, I think we have a chart of it, both the one year and five year, has outperformed NVIDIA nicely, particularly over the five years, which is kind of surprising to me. So it's, uh, they are a supplier to NVIDIA. NVIDIA is extremely important to Supermicro, a little less the other way around. But I mean, you know, when you're trading in AI pixie dust, kind of everything in the dust bowl is kind of going down, right? right? AI and um, so it's not surprising. I do think to Guy's point, did it get ahead of itself? Probably. I think we, we're gonna have to wait to see what NVIDIA reports on August 23rd. I think that's really going to be mm-hmm. big. I still think we're sort of in the early innings here. I did put on today a one by two call spread of 450-500 that expires right after earnings. It did it for just a tad over four bucks. So you make money between 454 and 546. That's a, I think, a pretty yeah. wide range. Mm-hmm. If it really goes berserk and I was, you know, then I'll be selling some of my stock. But that will probably be an option to action kind of thing mm. anyway, but yeah, 5.30 Friday, on Fridays. Fridays. But uh, you know, I'm long, I'm long the story for uh-huh. sure. And I'm, I'm staying long, I'm gonna see this through. At least, I mean, this, this SMCI reporting this quarter was good, 
right? Right. That's right. what we're waiting. And, and that that revenue guidance. increase, it's the guidance. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what Nvidia's guidance will be. It has to be very big, uh, otherwise stock's going to continue to fall. But I think until it's we're in a vacuum that uh, until we have something on August 23rd. I'm just going to, I'm not, I'm going to hang on, stay right. long. Right. And I mean, I, we're talking about Supermicro. It's a company that we really hardly ever talk about on this show. Datadog right. yesterday, we led with that. Again, another company that we hardly ever talk to. But take a look at, for instance, the Microsoft earnings guidance, specifically about monetizing AI. It was a longer um, projection in terms of when they were actually going to monetize than what analysts had been expecting. And that's in part why that quarter was so disappointing, Julie. So it's not just these, it's all of these things put together. Um, are you worried here about the rally? Yeah, I think if you think about AI, broadly speaking, as a technology, it's still very vague what the implications for it are. Every time I hear any kind of CEO talking about it, it seems like very hard to follow how it's going to help their business. It's going to help their business for sure. They're all assuring me of that. But it's so it's so vague. The only people who really talk about it concretely are, are the writers on strike. The other thing about AI is unlike e-commerce, it's really hard to get people enthusiastic about it. Most people on the street are not like, yes, I'm so excited about AI, the way that they are about e-commerce and like shopping for handbags to offset your ennui, right? It's like, it doesn't have such a clear value proposition. I don't know anyone that's like, God, I just wish technology went faster, right? And I think a lot of companies feel that way too. They don't necessarily wanna be investing in AI. So I think the fundamental, the underlying fundamental drivers of it are really vague, really unclear, and gosh, things have gotten really expensive around it. Carter, how do you uh, view all these charts here? Well, of course, I mean, you get, let's take the, the flavor of the day, the SMCI. The, I mean, dropping like that, right, is a simple function of one of two circumstances, extreme strength or extreme weakness, meaning you get some of the biggest moves to the downside in a stock that's been going down and down and down, and then it pulls yet another mess up, an Enron, and you plunge. Or it's this circumstance, steep, steep, uncorrected, and then what comes out is not good enough to keep it going. But the real issue is this, that we're not getting... Um, the kind of follow through from the ones that have popped, Google popped, didn't follow through, Meta popped, Netflix popped, but the ones that have done the sort of the unhappy drop, that's Microsoft, Apple, um, they've followed through the downside. And so the NASDAQ 100 now down more than 5%, one would have to assume that it's not going to stop here. All right, so more downside ahead for the NASDAQ, according to uh, Carter. Let's get to the earnings of the hour here. The stock at after hours highs, we're talking about Disney. Subscriber losses, restructuring costs continue to weigh on the entertainment giant. But the company is raising prices for ad-free Disney+. Plus. CNBC's Julia Borson has been listening in on the call. Julia, what's the latest? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, Melissa, Disney's adjusted earnings were a big beat as the company has made progress with cost casting. This is something that CEO Bob Iger has been stressing on the call, saying that Disney's on track to exceed its initial goal of $5.5 billion in savings, and it improved its direct-to-consumer operating income by roughly $1 billion over three quarters. This particular quarter, its streaming losses were far less than anticipated. Now, on the call just now, Iger announcing that ad a supported Disney Plus has 3.3 million subscribers, saying that he's very optimistic about the long-term potential of advertising in these streaming services. With that, Iger announced that they are expanding ad-supported uh, Disney Plus more internationally. They're also going to be launching a new combo of ad-free Disney Plus with an ad-free Hulu in September for $20. And perhaps most important, they are hiking prices of the ad-free streaming apps, in particular 
ad-free Disney Plus is going to $14 from $11, Hulu to $18 from $15. The ad the ad supported uh, versions are going to stay flat. Now, Iger saying also that they're looking at a crackdown on account sharing. Sounds a little familiar with what Netflix did and that they will roll out tactics to drive monetization sometimes next year. He also said of plans to take ESPN direct to consumer. It's not a matter of if, but when, noting that ratings on ESPN's linear networks have increased even as cord cutting has accelerated. They also noted that domestic sports ad revenue is up 10%. Disney shares turning it around, now up about 4%. Melissa? No word yet on uh, on ESPN bet. I know they were just talking about it as being part of the broader strategy. The call is still ongoing, though, so I'm going to jump back on Melissa and listen to see if they have anything more to say. But they are still looking for partners. They're still looking at taking Disney Plus direct-to-consumer. It does seem like this betting partnership does not preclude them from doing anything else around monetization here. All right. Keep us posted on that call, Julia. Thank you. Julia Borston in Los Angeles for us. It looks like they took a little playbook out of uh, Netflix, Netflix here in terms of the price hikes and cracking down on password sharing. All right. So let's just try to talk about the stock because there's a lot for bears to like in this. There's a lot for bulls to like, I think, as well. Free cash flow, good. I mean, the net ads were disaster. But, you know, maybe this restructuring plan, maybe it started to get some teeth in it. and Maybe they finally have troughed. This is what I'll say. Carter will probably back me up. The fact that we traded down to and seemingly have held levels we made in the woes of COVID in March of 2020, that's encouraging. And again, not great news, but great price action is something you want to see if you're about to make a bottom in a stock. So we might have, if we open here tomorrow, and there's obviously a long time before that, this 91, 91 and a half level, we are through a downtrend line. It's been intact for quite some time. So you might see some upside. So I don't want to make a huge deal out of it yet, but Bad news, good price action, that's what you want to see for sure. Carter, what's your take? Well, that's right. So you have uh, both reactions here in the immediate aftermath, initially down, now up a bit. But the, the key takeaway is it's not up enough at this point, while that can change, to really set an important kind of low. Uh, my hunch is, and we did a poll, interestingly, institutional um, clients, much less sanguine than um, retail individual clients, they, in fact, were looking for an up move post earnings institutional in general, looking for a down move. But here we are up, but fairly muted. I think this is the kind of thing that you just leave it alone. All right. Um, Julie, what are some outstanding questions in your mind still about Disney? Uh, you know, I think understanding how they're going to do it all, right? How am I going to cut costs, raise prices, and still have enough good quality content that you can continue to drive the business forward and, you know, drive the shareholder price forward? It cannot just rest on the laurels of the parks. There are limits to what the parks can do for this business. And I think until there are concrete answers to that, it's going to be really hard to get super enthusiastic here. Yeah. Karen? Well, we were talking about this in the green room before, you know, that Robert uh, Iger favor interview, which was so good. I mean, he really talked down that stock pretty decisively, I think. And so I was sort of wondering, is it a sell the rumor, which is waiting for this terrible quarter mm -hmm. and then buy the news, which is, OK, it wasn't all bad. You know, the subscriber wasn't good. But I mean, that, you know, the bottom line accretion when you raise prices by, what is it, 20 some, some odd percent, you're probably going to lose some subscribers, but yeah. that's going to be very much a net positive. If you have the product to do it, um, that's going to be good. So I don't know if this is enough to, to stem the tide, but 
I would start to look at it here to buy some. Or maybe you lose some subscribers to the paid version, but they, right. they migrate lower to the ad-supported version, in which case you still win. You don't lose them completely. If they and had you have not, the ad revenue. Right, and you, you have the ad revenue. If they had not um, introduced price increases in this quarter, if they did not say that they were going to crack down on password sharing, would we see the stock of 4%? You would have seen it where it was 40 minutes ago, which was 84 and a half, yeah. 85. So I think that turned the, di- turned the tables for sure. And listen, we were talking about this again. We had this conversation. This is not a broken business. This is just a flawed business that can turn it around absolutely. And you know, if this again, is this begin? This is when you start to see bottoms being made. When you get a quarter like this, it wasn't great, but the price action is. We'll come back a couple weeks. You know, mark my words. If this holds here tonight, we'll come back in three weeks, four weeks, and say, remember that earnings release in Disney traded lower in the after hours than it came. Around. That was a sign. All right. For more on Disney's report, let's bring in CNBC contributor Tom Rogers. He's currently the Newsweek editor at large and the first NBC cable president. Tom, it's always great to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, what did you make of this quarter, and, and is it worth 4% to the stock, the, you know, the hike in, in fees and, and also the cra- crackdown on password sharing? Well, there's much more to be skeptical about, I think, than to be excited about. And uh, uh, look, the, the linear business is clearly in decline, 7% revenue uh, decline leading to a 23% operating income decline is obviously not good. You have a stalled streaming business. Uh, they're, they're not growing subs. Yes, they have lower losses, but most of those losses are over the backs of uh, Disney Plus, which will probably lose close to $2 billion this year. Advertising on streaming, which should be a really positive element for them, something Iger talked a lot about in the CNBC interview as a major important ingredient of streaming success. Disney Plus advertising down, Hulu advertising down, and Hulu advertising per sub for the first time in about five quarters was up. And the only way that can happen if you have Hulu advertising declining is to have a uh, uh, situation where your number of advertising subs, people taking advertising on the Hulu service is down, which is not a good thing. And Disney World was down, consumer products is down. It's a good day to be talking about gambling, I think. Yeah, Tom, not surprisingly, you've done a masterful job over the years talking about this. It comes as no surprise to any of us here, nor our viewers, because they know that Tom is what, Mel? You want to say the word? No, you say it. Stud. That's what he is. But let me ask you this. God, this it'd be obviously, cooler if, if, if Melissa said it, but yeah, well, you. can't get everything in life. This Penn Gaming ESPN deal, I mean, late to the dance, but everybody's talking about it today. I mean, does this even move the needle at this point? Um. Look, it's a contribution, all contributions when you need cash and an answer to a declining linear business are a good thing. But just to put this uh, $150 million a year in licensing fees on the gambling side in context, a ESPN sub in terms of uh, subscriber fees and advertising is probably worth about $150 per year. So this makes up for the loss of about a million subs. Now, ESPN over the next 10 years is going to lose 10, 15, 20 million subs just to put in context how much of a contribution toward filling that hole in the bucket it is. More importantly, look, we've seen media brands try to drive sports gambling business. Fubo failed at it. 
Bally's with the regional sports networks could not make a difference there as they go into bankruptcy. Obviously, Barstool with Penn uh, didn't help. And Fox, a great sports brand, just discontinued Fox Bet. So there's a lot here that you can be skeptical about as to whether ESPN paired with Penn, which only has about 2% of the gambling market against the combined FanDuel DraftKings of about 75% of the market, whether it's really going to be able to make a difference off the back of that, particularly when ESPN is going to continue to take advertising from other gambling players. So how much of a difference is this integration really going to make? Tom, we've got maybe a minute left, and I'm just wondering, you know, how would you rank ABC as a problem on Bob Iger's list, and what can he do with that asset? Well, ABC is an issue because it's very hard to imagine how to separate ABC from ESPN, which they plan to keep, um, given the importance of the broadcast network in terms of major sports packages. It's also hard to see how to maintain what Hulu is in the absence of ABC and the cable networks. And so much of Hulu's programming is a function of the programming on those networks. I will say he's got Kevin Mayer back, which is a really good thing. It's great that he admitted Bob Chapik was a mistake. Bringing Kevin back, I think, further admits there was a mistake there, not putting Kevin in as CEO. You, this is a company that has to transact, and it's a company that has to figure out its major strategic streaming issues. There's probably nobody better around to handle the, both of those. So if there's an answer for ABC, I assume Kevin will find it. Tom, great to speak with you. Always great to get your thoughts since you are right. a, as Guy called you, stud. He is. Uh, there, you there, there you go. go. You, you said it. Much better <laughs> coming from you. Tom, thanks. Tom Rogers. Thanks. Um, Karen, we were talking about that, ABC. How difficult, like, yeah. what do you do? It's so entrenched in the business. It's so entrenched, and, you know, the headwinds that the business faces, who, who would want to buy it? Right. I don't know. That's that's interesting. Does this make Kevin Mayer the, you know, anointed one when ultimately Bob Iger does step down? I don't know. It would seem. It seems like they have no other candidates. Well, so. there's that. <laughs> um, but... Um, I don't know. I just do. I, I, it's fun. When we were talking about it, it hit over 200, just slightly over 200 during the pandemic when streaming was seen right. as so valuable. And remember, money was free then. Mm-hmm. And they didn't they didn't have the Disney de- uh, Fox debt that they have now. So a lot of things were different. But um, I mean, 50 plus percent off since that, that's that's sort of intriguing to me for an iconic name. I don't know. Worth a look. All right. Coming up, Wynn is on the move in the after-hour session. Shares are up almost 3% after delivering results. We'll bring you the details out of the quarter next. Plus, Carvana, enlightening investors with raised guidance. But the stock isn't feeling so zen. Should you namaste in this name? (laughs) We'll debate that when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on Wynn Resort. Shares moving higher after beating a beat on the top and the bottom lines. The casino operator seeing continued strength in North America and a huge boost to operating revenues in Macau. Contessa Brewer joins us with the latest from the conference call. Contessa. Well, Melissa, when CEO Craig Billings kicked off the call with an enthusiastic, what a quarter after a beat on both the top and the bottom lines. Strength really coming from North America with Las Vegas and Boston generating a new second quarter record for adjusted property EBITDA. Remember, in gaming, that is the crucial earnings metric. Room bookings, group pace, both strong and trending upward for the next year. When also seeing strength in Macau in the mass gaming market, luxury retail, their hotel business, Billing says that VIP volumes are still surprisingly good there, even though there's been a dramatic decline in the junket business. He says they are seeing customers spending more in Macau, but that their length of stay has decreased. And when it comes to the luxury consumer, so far, so good. Billing says consumers seem more than willing to keep spending on the nicer things in life. Billing says they're looking ahead to the big Vegas F1 race in November and, of course, Super Bowl in February, where already Win, as well as other properties up and down the Las Vegas Strip, Melissa, are seeing premiums. Contessa, thank you. Contessa sure. Brewer, uh, up 2.4%, guys. Should be. Uh, I don't know what's going up in Boston, but they did $221 million there, which for perspective, I mean, Las Vegas has almost $600 million in a quarter. So I don't know if folks in Boston, you know, they got hobbies clearly at the roulette table. Good for them, number one. But this was a huge EPS beat. Stock should actually be higher than this because it has sold off recently on the back of concerns of a slowing China. I get it. Valuation is still compelling. So I think wind continues to go higher from here. Carter, what do you see in the charts? Yeah, fairly muted uh, response to Guy's point. I would point out, you know, no pun intended, this is a gambling chip. The stock peaked in 2014. It was 250 a share. Uh, here we are at 100, uh, down 60%, down 70% adjusted for inflation. Uh, you got to catch it for a trade. I think their trade has already come and gone. A little news-related pop today, but so what? Mm. Everybody wants to travel. Everybody wants to pay for experiences, Julie. I mean, Marriott, Airbnb, all the, I mean, does this fall in the same category in your view? Yeah, I, I do. I, and I, I think for just those reasons, it's it has the same level of risk as those kinds of names. You know, for the time being, everyone is super thrilled to be spending on services. If I see one more Taylor Swift mm. concert picture, I'm going to throw myself out this window. Goodbye. Um, but, you know, so I think that that's definitely been the underlying trend. But whether that continues, I'm less certain because I don't think that we continue to have just endless amounts of consumers spend on on these kinds of experiences. I think this was like really the summer of love, everyone having a great time. A trillion dollars in credit card debt. Yeah. In total for the U.S. consumer. I saw you talking about this morning on the Squawk Box. Student That's a little scary. Student loan repayments. Scary that you watch total, Because <laughs> you were on it. Yeah. I was flipping around. And then I say, oh, that's, I know, I know, that's Melissa Lee. And I stuck around. And yeah, I it's kind something. of funny. You're like, oh, yeah, I know her. I'll <laughs> <laughs> watch. But, yeah. I mean, any concern well, about the consumer you would think would yeah. hit. 
Well, we saw win. some spotty. We saw some great travel news, and then we saw some really not, not great yeah, travel exactly. news. So um, I, I think maybe to Julie's point, maybe that is peaking. Um, so that, I, I, I think some of the international travel is still there, which is we talked about that's great for the, the business, more business-related airlines, but, for, you know, Southwest and Southwest. Like and Jeff Blue, yeah. yeah. But since quickly, since yeah. you brought up debt, I mean, think about this. The consumer is combating inflation with add, by adding debt to the balance sheet. That's, that doesn't end well, and that's something right. we've been talking about for a while here. So stay tuned, sports fans. There is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Cash karma. Carvana boosting its profit forecast. But shares seem to be stuck in reverse. We're driving into the details next. Plus, new restrictions on investing in China. How President Biden's latest executive order could change the game for companies trying to raise capital. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks dropping ahead of tomorrow's CPI report. The Dow falling nearly 200 points. The S&P down 7 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq leading the losses down more than 1% on pace for its second negative week in a row. And check out Carvana today. Shares initially jumping after the company boosted its profit forecast, but quickly reversing and closing the day with a nearly 6% loss. The used car retailer still up nearly 800% this year. Uh, meantime, a few other after-hours movers. The trade desk falling after its earnings report, while both Sonos and AppLovin both jumping. Karen, just quickly on Carvana, since this is the uh, yeah, the I mean this stock, stock is away from. completely, <laughs> you know, detached from fundamentals of any sort. Of, but except for today, well, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, they did they did up their adjusted EBITDA, which I think it adjusts for all the things that would make it bad. I think is that they pull that out, and then the numbers look very good. Um, I think this per unit, uh, you know, wasn't as good as it seemed. They were selling loans with that, um, so. You know, uh, good for them. They managed to get this stock or with the meme community working together. I'm not really sure how. If they can issue shares now, they can pay off that near-term debt and they, they stay alive. Yep. So good for them. Coming up, new data out of China showing inflation at more than two-year lows. What it says about growth in the country and how it could impact investments overseas. And speaking of China, options traders eyeing the KWeb Tech ETF for a move. How they're applying that one when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. News out of D.C. in just the last hour. President Biden signing an executive order to restrict American investment in Chinese companies. Eamon Javers has got all the details. Eamon. Hey there, Melissa. The Biden administration is announcing a much more narrow than expected set of proposed rules around investment in China today. In an executive order, the president is directing Treasury uh, to propose new rules regulating U.S. investment in three technology sectors in China, quantum computing, 
semiconductors, and artificial intelligence. Now, some investments in those sectors will be prohibited entirely. Others will just be subjected to mandatory disclosure. There's not going to be any proposed new restrictions outside of those high-tech sectors. And that's what makes this more narrow than many had expected, as some on Wall Street feared restrictions could be coming on just a much broader array of investment categories. Senior administration officials today also said uh, they're considering exemptions for investments in publicly traded companies in China, which even more narrowly tailors today's move to just the venture capital and private equity industries really specifically. The reason for that, they say, is the White House recognizes that the Chinese already have access to a lot of money. What they don't have, the White House says, is know-how. And it's the intangible benefits that come along with those private investments that can transfer that kind of know-how, such as introductions to key experts, partnering with other portfolio companies, that kind of thing. And while they were careful to say that they can't predict Chinese reaction to, to today's move, they also revealed that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen briefed Chinese counterparts on this move when she was in China back in July. So Beijing has had some notice that this would be coming. The new rules will go through the Treasury Department uh, normal regulatory process, so they won't take effect for some time now. And it's worth noting the choreography here, which is always intentional with the White House. We're not going to see President Biden doing a big signing ceremony here today. In fact, he was in New Mexico earlier giving a speech about the economy, didn't really mention this thing, uh, and he's now uh, en route to Utah. So th this is not one that the Biden administration is putting front and center, at, at least on your television screen, Melissa. Can you go back, Eamon, to, the, to what you're saying about investment in public companies? Because um, I would think that an easy way to get around this is for a company, sure. even if they have no product on the market yet, to go public anywhere in the world, doesn't have to be in the United States, um, and then U.S. firms can just make significant investments, stakes, and do the same right. exact thing that they would do if they were to invest as a private equity company. Yeah. So a couple things that senior administration officials said today in a call with reporters. One is that they're going to come up with a bunch of uh, rules to try to stop that kind of workaround. For example, using a foreign subsidiary to do the investment for you. Uh, they're going to try to create a, a lot of rules around this to ring fence that kind of thing. Uh, but they said specifically that in, when it comes to public companies in China, uh, the idea here is that a passive investment in a public company, buying shares in a company, uh, doesn't transfer the kind of know-how that a private equity investment does when you, when you talk about, you know, helping install people on the board of directors and introducing them to your other portfolio companies, introductions to top scientists in the U.S., all that kind of thing that comes along with a substantial private investment. That's why they're less concerned about the transfer of money uh, than they are about the transfer of sort of economic and technical know-how. And just last question, Eamon, is this mostly a formality? Because I would think that most investment from private equity firms and VC firms in the United States has basically not gone to zero, but really ground to yeah. almost a halt just because of the uncertainty surrounding this issue. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. We have seen foreign direct investment in, into China dial way back since before the pandemic, right? And so that uh, is in, in some ways is a problem that's taking care of itself, if you view that as a problem. Uh, but... The, what officials said today is that even just by discussing, and this 
this announcement today was telegraphed for months, right? There was a lot of conversation that this was coming for a long period of time. They said that even by discussing this publicly that this was a possibility, they feel that people in the marketplace have already started to change their behavior. So this kind of investment uh, is already being taken off the table uh, by people who are in the venture capital and private equity industries. So uh, in some ways, this is coming, uh, you know, cart and horse kind of a thing where the investments are already uh, going down, even as the administration is now putting in place the process to now regulate that kind of investment. Eamon, thanks. Eamon Javers at the White House for us. Um, well, Telegraph, we knew this was coming for a long time. Beijing knew it was coming. But still, this is still another reason for these tensions to remain rough. Uh, and for Beijing to retaliate if it chose to. 100%. And listen, my concern, in, it's coming to fruition in terms of what's happening, but it's not manifesting itself in the stock market, what we're tasked to talk about. I'm actually sort of surprised. There have been comments by a lot of people out there talking about potential, the catastrophic impact of a China-Beijing. But over the weekend, I think, or last week, China-Russia joint exercises off the coast of Alaska, 11 warships. I mean, that's unprecedented stuff. I mean, the rhetoric is being ratcheted up on a number of different levels. And you just have to wonder when Apple, the crosshairs are Apple or Starbucks or Nike or any of the McDonald's, any of those multinationals, then it gets real in terms of what we talk about every night. Meantime, China's consumer price index falling into negative territory for the first time in 28 months on a year-over-year basis. The inflation measure fell three-tenths of a percent from a year ago. For more on the Chinese economy and how investors should think about President Biden's new executive order, let's bring in Shahzad Kazi, the managing director of China Beige Book International. Shahzad, great to have you with us. Um, let's first deal with the executive order since that's the, the newer news here. Um, do you see this as, I don't know, a big change uh, and will it redirect investment away from China, or is this a formality? No, I don't think this is a big change. You know, to be very honest, uh, this is an investment restriction executive order in name only. Uh, rather than creating a mechanism through which in, uh, outbound investment could be screened and then restricted, a reverse CFIUS, as was expected at the, at the onset two years ago, what you're really getting is a review mechanism. And there are already, even though the rulemaking hasn't even begun, there are already so many loopholes within this thing uh, that I don't think it's going to change uh, investment decisions as dramatically. Uh, they kind of will be on their own track. Coming, of course, we're talking about the private markets, the PE firms, the venture capital firms. Obviously, as you said earlier, it doesn't even affect the public markets. Let's um, shift now to the data that we got uh, overnight out of China, Shazad. Do you think this shows there are a lot of ways to explain the decline? Um, one was the sharp decline, in particular in pork prices because of heavy rains that impacted uh, pig supply um, and pork supply. Uh, so do you think China is actually headed into deflation or is it still too early to say? Yeah, look, I think, you know, for the for, for through the course of this year, um, you know, we certainly have seen several instances where there's, you know, some amounts of disinflation present in the numbers as it is. Now, for, for economists, this year has been incredibly torturous 
from a year-on-year comparison, just given the on-again, off-again switch that the economy was on last year. Uh, but, but I think there are a couple of things worth pointing out. There's no doubt that demand has been a lot softer this year than anybody anticipated. And if you look at China Beige Book's uh, figures coming out in July, it's very clear that there has been a pretty severe, there was a pretty severe pullback on a lot of spending on, on retail goods and so forth, um, which clearly is factoring into the, the limited pricing power of companies. Do you think that we are in for a bigger stimulus from Beijing? I don't. I think Beijing still sees the 5% growth target as achievable. The view is that only some amounts of fiscal stimulus might be needed. Targeted support to the property market is being provided. And that the cumulative effect of these small measures will be hitting that growth target. This is not the year we see big bank stimulus being rolled out, if we ever do moving into the future, first of all. Uh, I don't think policymakers in China are nearly as panicked Uh, about the recovery this year, as folks on the street are just because of the wildly unrealistic expectations they had at the beginning of the year. Shazad, great to speak with you. Thank you. Shazad Kazi. Um, How we factor this in, Julie, to our outlooks for companies operating in China? I I think some people have, and I think some people haven't. I think a bigger factor to think about is if we're thinking that inflation is going to start coming back up, it's actually maybe a positive thing that um, you know the economy in China is not as strong as people would have thought because it will put upward pressure on a lot of commodities prices. So I think somewhere in his heart, Jerome Powell is hoping that things stay stop over there. All right, let's take a look at how options traders are positioning themselves in China. Amber's group co-chief investment officer Chris Sidiel joins us on the fast line with all the action in KWeb. Chris. Hey. Yeah, so, you know, what's interesting is CPI and PPI fell in China, and this really helped continue the narrative that there will be governmental stimulus that will support the economy. All right, so in the options market, we saw most participants placing bullish bets in the middle of the term structure, which is generally three to six months out. We saw a lot of scattered call side buying in KWeb, and most of the activity today was on the November 33 call. Um, The calls outpaced the puts today by a ratio of about four to one, and to give viewers a comparable relationship, if you look at the vols in floating strike terms, a three-month 10% out-the-money call on SPX is trading at about a 10 vol, where KWeb is trading at about a 43 vol, right? So um, it's quite high there. Overall, this feels like more so retail participation or RIAs. Uh, the more so sophisticated shops will generally express their China exposure in a more concentrated manner. But there's no doubt people are uh, buying uh, China, making a higher move in the options market. Chris, thanks. Chris Sidiel for more options action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, price check in aisle three. Mm. Walmart shares hitting an all-time high today. What is behind this bump? Can it keep going into earnings? The trade is next. And later, it's so good, it's blank. The Charbaster has some hot takes on some recently hot stocks. How he's playing the names coming up. More Fast Money into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Call of the day on Walmart. Bank of America raising its price target by $15 to $190 a share ahead of the company's earnings report next Thursday. B of A arguing the retailer has the upper hand in more price-sensitive categories like grocery. Walmart shares hitting a record high today and closing just shy of $161. I mean, we we're talking about the strains of the consumer, and that's basically the reasons behind this price target increase, Karen. Yeah, you know, it's a bold move to make a projected prediction like this, right, Uh, in front of an earnings 
Um, you know, I like Walmart. I'm long Walmart. It's performed much better than Target, which I also sadly own. Um, it's getting to the upper, the upper edges of the PE multiple, I think. So I wouldn't be adding to it here. Um, but they've done a great job. I mean, they don't get anywhere near a, well, who knows now what an Amazon retail multiple is. We don't know because it's so overshadowed by AWS. But um, this is sort of getting on the higher end for Walmart. Uh, 24 times next year's numbers a little, higher, I think. a little higher maybe Karen's probably right yeah it's you start to get the nosebleed level but you have to admire the call ahead of earnings I mean mm-hmm. given the run that the stock has had that's a ballsy call so I respect that it's a valuation thing and it's a margin thing as well so if they can start to turn the needles a little bit on margins it's not ridiculous to see that stock here especially given the fact that we've just broken out from an all-time high we're gonna do it's so good it's blank Carter but I got to ask you the same question for Walmart here uh, what do you? What's your take on on this new high? Yeah, well, there's so it's such a it's not to say feeble new high, but it's a very small incremental <laughs> new high, and uh, I just don't think it has the oomph, the torque, the the ability to really break out in a traditional sense of what a breakout is. I would point out uh, also that you know Walmart's relative performance to its sector peaked in 2000, which is remarkable. Walmart carried a 57 PE. It got bit up with the dot com era. And um, yeah, I think it's full here. Maybe uh, the word that Karen used or a uh, similar word. So good it's full. Mm. So good it's Is this the feeble. so good it was? Well, so good. Oh, yes. Just an extension of the <laughs> so good that it's, but. <laughs> Yeah, parrots is. Coming up. Coming up is the real segment. So good it's blank. We will ask Carter what he's seeing for a trio of this year's top performers. More room to run or time to run away? Fast Money's back in two. All right, we have a triple take of 2023 outperformers. Elf Beauty, General Electric, and Eli Lilly all on runs this year. But are the games too good to be true? Let's find out with a solo game of so good it's blank. Mm. Starring the chart master. So Carter, fill in the blanks here on these charts. Sure. I could be a spoiler and tell you all at once what I think, but let's go through them one at a time. Um, so uh, when you're steep and uncorrected in increasingly sort of um, unrelenting advance, at some point you have the risk that what comes out is not good enough, similar to uh, the stock today dropping 27% because of AI. Now, let's look at uh, ELF. ELF is not AI, but we know that Estee Lauder is under pressure. We know that LVMH... Uh, we know that Ulta Beauty L is lost its mind. Uh, it's well, take a look, 20 to 140. Um, also, I would point out it's gapped up several times. You typically can get two and sometimes three gaps on earnings. It's very hard to get a fourth because the price targets get moved up to the point where it's very hard to beat. I think it's so good that it's bad. Uh, let's go on to the next one. Um, a totally different business, of course. We've got GE. Now, GE is nowhere near as steep and uncorrected, but it's the unnatural angle of the line and the lack of variance. It's just literally higher, higher, forever higher. No dips, no drops, no corrections, no drawdowns, nothing but we we only go up, we don't go down. That's not how stocks work. Eventually, you get that down. I think this is also so good that it's bad. Uh, Last one, a little harder to discern, Lily because of its gap up today, it was re-rated. News we know, of course, having to do with uh, the very big business of weight loss. Um, But here too, how much is now priced in 
how much is known, or said differently, how much of all that's coming, or almost all that's coming, is already discounted. I would say a great deal. So good, it's bad. All three are bad. All three are so good, it's bad. They're so good. But they might, you know, there is that moment, as you all remember in the kitchen, you have the beautiful piece of succulent fruit, and, it's, and it goes ripe, riper, ripest, and then <laughs> one inch more, and you've got fruit flies. So we can see. Funny you should say fruit flies. Yeah. Well, that's, that'll be the after-hour show. <laughs> Just saying. No, they're all fly, I mean, they've got flies flying around. There was a minor fruit fly issue here. Oh. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Julie Beal. Would you disagree with Carter on any of these charts? Do you like any of these charts? Do you think they're so good, they're good? You know, the charting is always well beyond what I know. Elf is a really interesting name, right? They have started off as a brand that, you know, was selling makeup for one to two dollars, and now they are hot and heavy in creating duplicates or dupes. Um, and they just do a fantastic job on TikTok. Uh, I've obviously been very influenced. Um, you know, copying high-end products. So I think they have a lot of potential in terms of their ability to trade down. But it's very much what Carter is saying in that there's no asset that's so amazing that price doesn't matter. And I think price does matter here. So while I think it's a really great story and a great company, I'm not really so much sure of it as a stock. Karen? Well, one, the, the Lily one interests me. Just we're pointing out today in the green room that Moderna mm-hmm. has round-tripped the entire pandemic move when they were only one of two companies that had the most important product on the earth. Right. The most valuable product yes, on the, the earth. world. Yeah. And now that's come all the way back down. So I, I get Carter's why it's a little too good. We had, uh, we had a conversation about Eli Lilly the other day, you may recall. Jared Holes. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we said that you're going to start to see analysts chase. Yeah. Today, Jeffries raised their price target to 615. Lyric Swan raises their price target to 600, and I think BMO Capital is 633. Analysts are still behind the curve here. Now, today's price action scares me. You're going to get it back and fill, but this is a stock you want to own. All right. Up next, final trades. Do not miss an exclusive interview with Linda Yaccarino, the CEO of X, formerly known as Twitter. That is tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Julie Beal. Uh, Blackline ticker BL, this is a company that had a little bit softer revenue guidance, but they're making a lot of good moves on their profitability, and their founder, CEO Therese Tucker, is back. She's the best there. Carter. Alibaba earnings tomorrow. I like it. AWEB, it's the biggest constituent. I am both. Karen. Yes, sticking with the energy trade, I like the XLE. I'm with K-Fine in 09, sticking with the energy <laughs> trade, Slumberger, yeah. SLB. <laughs> it's a little behind yeah, now. Yeah. Um, thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
stories warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.